Hey everyone, it's the first Monday of the month, and as always, Bonnie and I are taking your questions. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 195. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help leaders improve their communication, strategy, coaching, productivity, and personal mastery. And it is the first Monday of the month. We are tackling questions from the Coaching for Leaders community. As always, as you're listening, if you have a question you're wondering about to uh, be considered for a future Q&A show, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And Bonnie, I was about to say that you join the show every month, but actually you're part of every show because I was just listening to that production credit. That's your voice. So it's like you're always with us. Oh, yes. And we have a bunch of questions to tackle here. So hopefully we'll get through all these this month and uh, lots to talk about. So let's get started with the first one here. Let me... Brian decided that he was just going to start with an easy one, a softball question. Yes. Yes, he did. So, and I've, I've changed the name here uh, since, and it will become evident when we read this question. So Brian asks, how do you battle being unmotivated? Your boss doesn't acknowledge your work, doesn't acknowledge your time with the company. You feel unmotivated, unappreciated, and undervalued. You think it's a personal issue that you need to fix, but you come to find out that your coworker feels the same way, and they've been with the company for 20 years. How do you get out of that? Or is it just a personal issue we need to get over? Or do you start looking for a new job? At what point is enough enough? I love my job and what I'm doing with the company and what I'm doing it for, but I feel as though my uppers are a huge roadblock to my road to happiness. What would you do? Indeed, nice softball question. Bonnie, I'll toss it over to you. Brian, first of all, I... What you said really resonates with me. I have in the course of my career worked for people that made it difficult for me to be motivated. And so I've ran into this question myself throughout many seasons in my career. And my bias tends to be, and it also tends to be my personality, that we are at our best when we aren't being motivated primarily through another person, particularly if that person is someone we report to. So many times in companies, people get promoted, they get promoted for all kinds of reasons. And often it's not because they're the best person at leading, developing and motivating other people. And I think that because you have a job that you love, you use the word love. That's a powerful word to use. That that shows to me a sense of meaning, a sense of significance. And wow, especially that you love the company that you're doing it for too. You like what you're doing. You love the company. I may sound a bit negative on this, but a lot of people can't say that. A lot of people in this world cannot say that they love their job, cannot say that they have a high regard for the company they work for. And I would say this is something you could start to work on on yourself. And you said that actually a number of times in your message. So I suspect you probably have already come to that conclusion. One resource that is just nourishment for my soul in this arena is a book, which I have mentioned a few times on the show before called The Empowered Manager by Peter Block. And you know, the word empowered gets really overused in business. 
And in, in his context, it's the most powerful use of that word I have ever seen. And it's that far too much of the time in the business world, we think of it as a real dependent cycle. I work for that person. That person has power over me. And the power that you are giving to your boss is the power to get to say whether your work is acknowledged or not, the power to say whether or not your time is acknowledged or not, the time that you've spent and invested in the company, you are giving a lot of power to this one individual. And I might sound harsh. I'm talking to myself too. I've done it. I, we've all done. I don't, I don't know anybody who hasn't done that. But I can tell you, if you were to go spend a little time, read the book, reflect on it, there's some particularly deep sections. It's a quick read, but some deep sections that would help you a lot with working with a manager who isn't necessarily that motivating for you. But if you can change your mind, change your focus to have less dependence and more of a sense of some interdependence where it's necessary, but also more of a sense of that that deeper meaning that, that you're doing it for and not doing it for that individual. The other thing I'll tell you is, gosh, things change fast. In this world. And it would be a shame if you were to leave a job you love, leave a company you love only to someday have things change either because somebody figures out the person's not necessarily well aligned in the company or simply because life changes and, and yeah. that sort of thing. So I would say that's a shame. But again, I have pretty low expectations. I think that I have worked for very few phenomenal leaders in my life. And instead, I try to just give what I have, what, what, I, what I feel is due to the world, why, why I was put on this planet. I try to make sure that I'm not getting in my own way of doing that when I try to fix other people or when I try to really have more dependence on them. I try to not think about working for another person. I try to think about working with purpose. Mm, I, I love that. And you and I were just talking right before we started recording about how there's just no perfect person to work for or work with. We're all broken. We all have baggage that we bring to working with others. And so, uh, Brian, I would, I would echo what Bonnie mentioned. And then I'd also add in that there are certainly times that regardless of how much you love the work and the organization, that it's just not practical to continue to work for someone or work with someone that is is not it does not seem to provide the environment that can help you to really feel successful. And if that's the case, um, one thing I would really suggest you may want to examine is you mentioned you love your job. What is it you love about your job? And what are the aspects of that that you love? that you could potentially find in other places and other venues because the person that you work with and work for does make a huge difference into your overall happiness and engagement in the workplace. And if truly that's not going to change, then uh, I would examine what is it you love to do and what is it that really contributes to your happiness and what are some other places and opportunities that that may come out. The other thing I was going to mention too, Brian, is that this venting to your coworker is something I would caution you to do very little of. There's a lot of research out there that shows that venting actually makes it worse because we can almost start to foster that between us. And I know for myself, it can be a really dangerous situation when I start to put a lot of labels on a person and in our life when we put, we're always the hero in the movie of our own life. And then when we start to demonize or make the other person the enemy, it's a person. Yeah, the person has a lot of power over you. They don't have to have as much power over you as 
we sometimes are letting them. So that's something to think about. But I would watch that venting because I find for myself, it's so much better when I can discipline myself to only say things about another person that I would say if they were in the room and recognize just the contagious nature of our language and our conversations. Our conversations can give other people life or our conversations can really take life away. And I want to be a life-giving person. I want to be someone who brings that. I mean, if we're going to really try to motivate ourselves and not be relying on this other person to motivate us, some of that can come from how we steer our conversations. I love that standard of I only say something about someone if they were um, like thinking about them if they were in the room. I need to get better at that. All right, let's move on. I am perfect at it right now. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. <laughs> sure, you know, being married to me, you would know that. Yes, so, you are perfect at that. <laughs> bring me a prize of some kind. <laughs> okay, the next question is from Mark. Mark asks, uh, he actually sent a, a long a message about this, giving us some background information. So, so thank you, Mark, for sharing all that. Um, and the question he ultimately asked, this is a situation where there's someone in his organization he's worked with for some time, Bonnie, and it's it. Unfortunately, it's just there's just pretty low trust with this other individual. This other person runs another part of the organization, and it sounds like there's just been very low trust over a long period of time. And he asks, "What recommendations can you offer when it comes to working with a colleague for whom you have very little faith that he will carry his weight and work toward a successful outcome for our combined group goal?" So, Mark, a few thoughts here, and I know Bonnie's going to have some thoughts in relation to the uh, the book she just mentioned, actually, The Empowered Manager, because there's a great model in this book. But uh, I, th- I would say one thing. I, I know the situation is such that the trust level has been low for a while. And I think that it is the best for me when I'm working with people, and especially when it comes to trust, the best indicator of future performance is past performance. And it's not to say that people can't change because people certainly can change. Uh, when I think back in my career and the clients I've worked with and uh, how often it's been that when trust has been broken multiple times, that that gets better in future situations. And in fact, I've been reminded of this recently in a situation with a client that uh, you know, oftentimes the things that have happened in the past are going to continue to keep happening in the future, barring some major thing changing. And so I think you're right to be very cautious and concerned about the situation. And I guess the thing that I would advise is to, to the extent that you can, is to uh, over-communicate about what the milestones are, the goals, and to get agreement uh, with all the parties involved, not just this other person, but the other stakeholders as well, too, of what's going to happen by when, what are the commitments. I would make those very, very clear, even more so than you would normally, Mark, because in normal situations, when you have trust with someone, um, you'll figure it out if the commitments aren't reached and you know they'll they'll work with you to collaborate on that. In this case, I think you want to be more clear on that. And if you can get those things in writing, and I don't necessarily mean like, you know, having signed agreements or anything like that, but just be real clear on wherever your organization keeps documentation for project goals, milestones, uh, even if it needs to be over email, and even if you're the one who writes it, of just saying, here's what we've agreed to, here's the milestones, here's the check-in points. And I would make that pretty clear um, and consistent and often so that you you're, it's apparent to both parties that whether, regardless of what's happened in the past, that we need to work together to reach this milestone or objective. Bonnie, um, I knew you were thinking maybe uh, 
the empowered manager might be a, a, a tool here that'd be helpful as well for Merck. You can tell from me talking that it's been a book that has been life-changing for me. And one of the models that comes out of it has to do with building coalitions and organizations. And and he has this map, Peter Block has this map that looks at five different types of individuals that you may run into and need to collaborate with in organizations. And it's a it's a four quadrant with uh, one of the quadrants being side saddled. And I'll explain that in just a minute, but it's the fence sitters, spoiler alert, that split between two of the of the categories. So on the y-axis is agreement, high agreement on the top and low agreement on the bottom. And on the x-axis, it's trust, high agreement on the right and low agreement on... High trust on the right, low trust on the left. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> as, as I do it with my hands, because that works great on a podcast as you were all listening. Perfect. It's perfect. Yes. So I'll walk through these. One is when we have high agreement, but low trust with someone, he calls these bedfellows. And these are people that we don't want to spend too much time with. He, By the way, he walks through each one of these types of individuals and how you might address your relationships with the individuals. And then he has allies that we have high agreement with and high trust with. And the danger here is that a lot of us spend most of our time with our allies. We get in organizations, we have conflict with people or we have low trust or whatever. And we decide, Hey, I like the feeling that I get when I'm around someone who admires me, thinks I'm fabulous. (laughs) And also when I can trust them, I mean, who wouldn't enjoy that? And we need that solace. We all absolutely need to have people we feel like they're on our side that agree with us on a particular approach or a project or an idea that we have. We need that to get through some of those difficult times. But where he tells us to spend the vast majority of our time, where we can have the greatest learning and where we can have the most power in our relationships is with who he calls opponents. And most of us, when we put the label on opponents, sounds like a really bad thing, but these are people we have high trust with but low agreement. So we think about, well, I have this new idea, an initiative for the company, and this individual doesn't agree with me. Well, the whys behind why this person doesn't agree with me, some of the most valuable learning I can have to either modify my thinking on a project or initiative, maybe just let it die, or perhaps that can be something that sharpens the idea or even brings up an entirely different aspect I hadn't thought of before. And who he says to spend the least amount of time with and just to try to get by with are what he has called adversaries. Adversaries are people we have low trust with and low agreement. And that any amount of energy we might spend there, this actually could go back to Brian's question too, Mm -hmm. tends to not be a good use of time. And then he talks about the fence sitters who have high, low agreement, depending on who's sitting in the room or who the last person was that said something and low trust. And they're also pretty dangerous in the organizations. Yeah. And I think based on the message from Mark, we're probably in the adversary adversary category. So uh, what I'd add from what Bonnie just mentioned, Mark, is, you know, minimize interactions is, I mean, don't spend a lot of your time, do what you need to do to get the documentation there, the check-ins to make sure you're meeting the objectives. But, um, you know, let the past be your guide as far as not spending a lot of time of trying to change that change and fix that relationship, because chances are it's probably not something that's going to change very substantially. Next question is from Hanif, and they write, I have a request for a program in public speaking and how to control fear and anxiety. That's my biggest weakness. So your suggestions will help. 
be happy to throw in a few suggestions here. I have two that I think would be helpful, Hanif. Uh, one of them we mentioned on a recent show would be, and this, this, by the way, these questions, the responses are two because it depends on how much time and how much resources you have. So if you have a lot of time and not as many resources, Toastmasters International is probably a great resource to check out. We talked about it on a recent episode. Toastmasters has is a nonprofit organization of people who have gotten together and want to be better communicators, especially in speaking. There are clubs all over the world. So if you just go to toastmasters.org, you can find one in your location or probably a bunch of them that are near your location. And um, and you, you go once a week or a couple times a month to a club meeting and you take turns playing different roles in the meeting. Uh, sometimes you'll be in charge of the meeting. Sometimes you'll give a speech. Sometimes you'll be the person that keeps time. So you always have a role in each meeting. And um, it's it, Toastmasters is great. The one thing I would suggest that you do is if you go check out Toastmasters, is try out a couple of different clubs. They tend to have kind of their own culture and their own focus as far as what's important to each club. And, um, and, and keep in mind that there are people like you who are wanting to become better at their speaking. So it is you're not necessarily getting coaching from people who are professionally trained as far as speakers, presenters. Um, so your timeline as far as your development tends to be a little longer with Toastmasters than will be my other suggestion. Uh, but that said, I love Toastmasters. I was a Toastmaster for five years, so I'd really suggest it for people who want to get better at speaking and reduce fear and anxiety. The other option that I'd have is if your uh, time is shorter, your time frame is shorter, and you have the resources, the Dale Carnegie course is a great option for you to look into from the Dale Carnegie organization. And you all know I'm affiliated with Dale Carnegie, so there's the disclaimer there. Um, but I, I know of no program that I've ever come across where people get the results on self-confidence and reduced fear as far as communicating in front of people like the Dale Carnegie course. And in eight to 12 weeks, you can be really a different kind of communicator in a very substantial way. So I really would, uh, encourage you to look at that as an option if the resources are there and especially if your organization's behind you and has the resources uh, to do it. And you can uh, find out about the courses we offer in Los Angeles. We talk about it on the Carnegie Coach Show at carnegiecoach.com slash Dale. So hope that's helpful to you, Hanif. Uh, Toastmasters and Dale Carnegie would definitely be the first two places I'd go. And I think that you can't go wrong on on either of those options, depending on uh, what you decide to do. Okay, so uh, let's transition. Bonnie, you didn't have anything to add on that one, right? Okay, so let's transition to... Uh, we have actually got a couple of questions from Kylie, and they're all related to OD. So for those of you who are not familiar with the term OD, it's organizational development, and you'll hear different terms for this depending on the person or organization, org behavior, org leadership, or other organizational administration or other terms that are used. Uh, OD is a uh, is becoming a larger field, and it is there's lots of different definitions, but it's essentially planning that an organization does to be more effective and efficient at reaching strategic goals. And so things like change, performance management, engagement, leadership, um, sometimes training tend to fall under that. 
So at Dale Carnegie, when we're going to talk to organizations that are of any substantial size, a lot of times we're talking to an OD person within that organization who's thinking about that strategically. So the question from Kylie, uh, the first question is, are there any organizations I can join where I can meet other OD professionals? It looks like you need to pay a membership if you're going to join the OD network, which I will if needed. And that's one of the organizations that she mentioned, uh, Bonnie. Uh, what um, suggestions do you have for OD professionals? Well, one, I think absolutely the comments that Dave made about Toastmasters are the same when it comes to any organization that you might consider paying money to join. They will always allow you to come for free to one meeting or at least pay a a fee and come to one meeting to check it out. And I certainly wouldn't pay a membership for any of those until I had a sense of the community there. And so in addition to the OD network that's there locally for you, you also might want to check out what used to be called ASTD, American Society for Training and Development, and is now called Talent American Talent Development, TD.org. It's actually Association oh. for Talent Development. <laughs> Yeah, but it is td.org. td.org. That was the important part. The Association for Talent Development, td.org. It's a global organization, so I should have known that. And they, in many of the regions, have subgroups that you'll pay your fee to be a member of the national or local organization, and then there'll be a subgroup of OD professionals. And the one that is here in Orange County, I have had value from before, so you might just want to check out what's happening, where the best options are. One thing that you'll want to discern is the extent to which people play internal or external roles as OD professionals. Those can be Mm. so different and how, I mean, there's some similarities and overlap, but if you were, for example, an internal OD professional and were considering joining an organization that had 80 to 90% of all external consultants, they may not have enough in common with you to necessarily be of the kind of value you're looking for, for what you might pay and the time that you would invest. And that is kind of how this field breaks down. There's the external folks and then there's internal folks and in organizations. Um, by the way, I don't know how clear uh, I was on this. ODNet or OD Network is, is a very large global organizational development organization. And it's certainly the one I've heard of as being um, the largest and most influential as far as that field. So I think that's definitely worth a look. Uh, And you mentioned you've already looked into it, so that's great. Um, Let's see. So her second question is, do you personally believe it is valuable to have a coaching qualification if in the OD space? And if so, which would you recommend? Um, Let me tackle this one. Kylie, uh, I think the answer is it depends. And... Um, I'll give you my opinion on this and uh, then, you know, on, on, on certifications in general, and then you'll obviously have to come to your own conclusion through your research. A certification is valuable if the people who, um, who would be recognizing the certification see it as valuable. So for example, if I'm going to have someone hire someone to do our taxes, I'm going to for sure look for someone who's a CPA, certified public accountant. I know what that certification means. I recognize it. I know the process that they had to go through in order to get that generally. And so it's very well recognized in the marketplace. The challenge I've always had with coaching certifications, and I say this as someone who has one and probably will let it expire uh, when it comes up for renewal, is the vast majority of the marketplace does not recognize or understand coaching certifications. So the only people who ever ask me about coaching certifications are other people who have coaching certifications. And so I think it depends who who it is that 
is going to care about your coaching certification. If it is other OD professionals and you're thinking about uh, going to work for an organization that has an OD department and that's important to them, then yeah, I think it's worth looking into it as an option. Um, if that's not the case and you're thinking about external clients or the marketplace, I don't know if it's as critical. I, I certainly have, I've never had anyone ask me about my coaching certification outside of other coaches. So I think it just depends who you're trying to reach. Uh, the one thing I would say is getting a coaching certification is a good way to improve your coaching skills. So if that's the driving factor for you, like it was for me, I think it's a good avenue to do that. And her last question is, what are your learnings in relation to OD coaching and startups? And Dave and I had a little bit of a conversation before we pressed record on this podcast. What we both have found is that most startups wouldn't have room on their full-time employee base to have someone who had that skill set or focus in their vocation. But many times startups will hire an external consultant to help them in regards to OD, whether that's in the space of organizational design as they begin to grow. There's a lot of literature and a lot of um, learning that can happen around going from more of an entrepreneurial type of an organization to after approximately about the first year or two years needing to shift more into more of a professional organization, having more formal job descriptions instead of people wearing so many hats, having a little bit uh, less of the chaos and a little bit more order to things. And sometimes for the entrepreneur, that's a difficult shift to make and they will hire an OD consultant to come in and facilitate some of that change. And hopefully that's a little bit of help to you as you look to begin to grow these skills. Thanks for the question. Yeah. And I would, I, you're probably giving startups even a little more credit than I would. I, I think that the, tr the true organization that's in the startup phase, I don't think is even thinking about things like OD. They're trying to get traction on numbers and growing the revenue. And I think that doesn't even happen until you get to the point where you're starting to bring in professional managers. Um, even if at that point, I think a lot of organizations, when we, when we interact, when Bonnie and I interact with OD professionals, they tend to be people who are working for medium to large size organizations. I, I'm, I can't even think of anyone that I know that isn't either an, o, an OD professional is working for a larger organization or is an external, uh, external practitioner. I can't think of anyone I know who's an OD person in a really small organization or a startup. So let's, uh, we got one more thing to tackle here. Uh, thanks so much for the question, by the way, Kylie. Good luck to you on, uh, on, on all of that. Um, one final item here before uh, we finish is we have a listener. Uh, her name's Pam Davis, who's been talking with me off and on over the last uh, year or so and has been a supporter of the show. And she's working on her doctoral dissertation and is doing research on managers. And she asked if I'd be willing to uh, put a word out to the Coaching for Leaders community. Uh, if you are a full-time manager, and I know we have many people who listen who are, and you have at least one person who you have as a direct report, someone you supervise, um, Pam would love it if you'd consider... Uh, completing her survey for her research. And I think she, she's putting together a great study. And I hope that uh, I know she'll share the results with us once she has them. And I've set up a address where you can get there directly. If you go to coachingforleaders.com slash Pam, it will get you to that survey. And uh, she wanted everyone to know that you'll also get entered into a drawing for several $50 Amazon gift cards. So that's pretty exciting. So you could go then and buy the books we've mentioned in this episode. Or you could do what we do is just buy diapers from Amazon, which is basically what we buy from Amazon these days.
A big thanks to Bonnie, as always. And the notes for everything we mentioned are on the website at coachingforleaders.com slash 195. And as I mentioned on the front of the show, if you have a question for the next Q&A show, which will be episode 200 uh, coming up here in just a few weeks, go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, and you can submit a written question there, or you can record by audio, uh, always preferred if you can do it that way, and you can review it before you submit it. So uh, just go over there. If that's of interest to you and in getting a question in for next time, I do have still a few questions that we weren't able to get in for this show. So if you've sent in a question recently, uh, hopefully we'll be able to hit on that in episode 200. And then a reminder as well, just on general help as far as resources you may be looking for, we're keeping an ongoing list on the Coaching for Leaders website of resources on lots of topics. So that's always a good first place to start. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash resources if you're looking for uh, services, tools, software, books. Uh, those are things that we use and we uh, think will be helpful to you as well. And I hope uh, if you're online, you also take a moment to join my weekly leadership guide. I send that by email on Wednesdays. It always has uh, four or five resources in there as well. Articles I've been reading, podcast episodes from other folks, videos, books, Resources I think will support you between the shows, and it also always has a link to every episode show notes, so it'll have a uh, link for this week's show notes as well. So if you'd like to get that and you listen on the go like me, just go over to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and as soon as you do, you will also get access right away to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others and a brief summary for me on why I think each of those books would be of help to you. So it's an 11-page guide and a nine-minute video. You'll get those sent to you right away as soon as you join. Just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe in order to get access to that. And now we're on to the member spotlight for this week, and I'm so thrilled to be able to feature Josh Rivers, who's been a longtime listener to the show. Here's Josh. Hey, Dave. This is Josh Rivers. I am in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and I originally found the show back in 2012 when I was just doing a search for leadership podcasts. And so I had started with the Entree Leadership Podcast, and I started looking for other podcasts related to leadership, and I found your show as a result of that. And so I've been listening now, I guess that's uh, over three years now. And I don't remember the exact episode that was my first one, but I remember making a comment somewhere on Twitter, I think it was, and you recommended a couple episodes to go back to, and that was episodes 19 and 20, and they really hit home for me in number 20, especially you were talking about core values, and that was something I was really starting to explore at that time, and so that really helped me to be able to dive in, and you go step-by-step step on how to be able to develop core values in your life. And so I really appreciated that. And I really want to encourage people if they haven't listened to that episode, that they would go back and be able to do that. And so it was really helpful for me to be able to do that. And I can't even think of all the different ways that your episodes have been a, a help through the year since then. And so I think I've listened to every single episode and I can't think of one that I would, uh, not recommend for someone. So definitely very good. And so uh, definitely go back and listen to that one, though, back in episode number 20. And so 
with that, uh, just let thank you again for this opportunity and thank you for bringing great stuff all the time. I look forward to listening to more. Hey, Josh, thank you, man, for the kind note. And I will put a link to episode 20 up on the show notes for folks. There's a good little assessment you can do on there as well. So that'll be at coachingforleaders.com slash 20. And uh, Josh, thanks for your support of the show over the last three years. I so appreciate it. You might have noticed Josh's audio quality sounds really good. He actually does podcast production for people who run shows and uh, I know does a great job of that for people. So if you know someone who's a podcaster out there and is looking for production help, uh, check him out at podcastguy.co. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Hey, thanks so much, everyone, uh, again, for your questions, comments. And I so look forward to talking with you. Lots of great episodes coming in the next month, including Marshall Goldsmith, one of the top coaches in the world, is on the show next week. Don't miss it. Take care.